Father God, we acknowledge how marvelous your love is for us. We come to celebrate that and we ask that you continue to lavish it upon us. We don't always understand it, it doesn't always make sense, but we ask that in your undescribableness that you just do it and that we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Actually, this morning, I want to do something off script a little bit. Um, Knowing full well it could just be me that needs this, uh, but I don't know that that's true. I think that it could be something that we all need to take time this morning and I don't I don't do this a lot and I don't I don't I don't make this claim a lot as far as uh, I just I feel like there's a heavy spirit this morning I, I just feel like there's um, not not like satanic oppression or anything like that I just feel like there's there's something that's different this morning that I'm picking up on and that could just be that I had a heavy week this week and I'm bringing it into this morning um, but I just want to take time this morning before we get started to give all of us the opportunity to get in a place where we are ready to receive what God has for us this morning. And for you, you may have come and you're ready for that. And, and this, so this is not, does not pertain to you. But I know for me, um, I'd be lying if I said I was in a place that I am ready for the Spirit to move in my life today. And so I think it would just be very, uh, very good to just kind of take a moment silently and just ask yourself is there anything that you carried in this morning that can separate you from hearing what God has for you this morning and if there is I just I just ask that you just give it up you don't have to nail it to a cross you don't have to do any of that this morning uh you'll have time to do that as as a physical act later but maybe just in the quiet of your own heart this morning just ask yourself if there's anything that you brought in this morning that you just don't want to carry on for the next hour Thanks. Um, Again, if that wasn't for you, I appreciate you at least humoring me for nothing else. Um, We are on week five of this five-week series, and we are about to close it up. The next series we're moving into, I'm pretty excited about. We are moving into a series called What Disciples Do. Um, And it's always been a thing that I've said from up here that the church is really famous for what we don't do. And so it's going to be interesting to journey down this road uh, all the way until Advent on what the church should be doing and how we should be responding to uh, hurts and needs and and wants and desires and all that kind of stuff. So we will start that up next week, and I'm pretty excited about that series moving into that. But today, as we close up this particular series on our core values, we're going to talk about, like I said, for me, it's one of the most important ones, uh, and that's service. Um, our, our fifth core value is serve. 
And it, it, it's rooted not just in a little bit of scripture. So we have some banners that I'm going to put up. I'm just trying to find a wall that's big enough to hold all of them. That's all the five uh, core values. And there's a scripture that is tied to each one of the core values. The problem, though, this core value really honestly should have just Bible. Right? Because all the scripture is riddled with these ideas of service. And it's almost like, this is going to sound crazy. It's almost as if this God that we serve knew we were going to have a problem with it. And so there's example after example after example. Let me give you my modern day example of the problem we have with, with this idea of biblical service. How do you know what free agency is? We're talking about sports. Right? Free agency. Okay. Have you heard of the transfer portal? Right? So free agency has moved into the college sports realm. And there's this thing called the transfer portal. As most of you know, most athletes, they go to college for four years, unless they're good and they don't have to go for four years, and they get drafted to play pro sports. But this idea of this transfer portal, especially in, in the college football world right now, is if you go to a school and it doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to, you just transfer to a new school. It used to be to transfer, you had, this, you had to get permission from the coach, permission from the school, and, and then you had to sit out a year before you could play. Now, you can transfer straight across, you can go do your thing, and you can start playing that very same year. And what that's done is it's created this idea of like free agency in college football. So, if you're a quarterback, say, that gets a scholarship, you go away to school, and you show up, and all of a sudden the other quarterback's better than you, rather than compete for your job, you just transfer to a new school. Now, it may sound like I'm complaining about it, but OU has benefited from this greatly, so I kind of think it's a good idea. Uh, but <laughs> there's this thing now where we no longer take um, something that is less than what we want as anything. We're going to just, we'll, we'll just leave. We'll just transfer. So throughout Scripture, we have these cases of people thinking they need what they don't deserve or what they don't really need. It's what they want. And... And God, Jesus, all, all of the, the, Paul, all these people say, no, 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 that's not right for you. And we do have some instances where people say, well, fine, I'm out then. You know, I'm just, I, 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 then I'm not going to do it. We, we have these stories of uh, Paul on his missionary journeys where he and another missionary would kind of get in a little squabble and they just separated. And they went their own ways, which worked out great, right? Because then there, there were two people that went out further and reached more people. But it was this, this thing where if, you, if it doesn't work out the best way for you, you're just going to quit. And you're just going to move on. You, you're not going to put up with it anymore. You don't need to do it. There's a, a story of Francis Assisi. And, and if you know anything about becoming a saint, you have to perform three miracles. That's, that's one of the things about becoming saint, uh, sainthood in the Catholic Church. And, and St. Francis, his conversion story goes like this, that he's, he was super wealthy very rich, very aristocratic, uh, had a lot of money, very neat and precise, did not like anything out of line, only dealt with the finest of things. And so as he lived his life, that was kind of the thing that he did. Well, he was on a carriage ride, and he saw a leper on the side of the road, and just totally out of character, he decided he was going to stop, and he felt this overwhelming urge to go and hug this leper, which is completely out of character for him. And as he, hung, as he hugged this leper, the leper turned into Jesus. And this is the conversion of St. Francis Assisi. This is why he became a Christian. And, and that's the story that he, that, that he shares. 
And so in the midst of the important, embracing the unimportant, we get this amazing narrative of service. We get this, this idea of what that looks like. And it's not even just about the idea of what you do. It's about the entire attitude that you have. And so we say around here a lot that look, there's always something to do. I mean, if you guys don't know, we don't have self-cleaning bathrooms at this church. Uh, we're waiting for Tesla to invent them, but he just hasn't yet. So uh, Elon Musk, he's, he's waiting for a while. I don't know why. But, we, I mean, we have people that come down every week and clean. So there's, there's stuff that can be done. We have, we have people that work in the nursery. Guess what? I'm going to tell you a secret. All those people that work in the nursery, some of them may not want to. I know, it's hard to believe. <laughs> but the thing is, is that there, there, there's, a, there, there's this need that happens, and so it gets filled. And, and so and, and the, the worship team, that may seem like the best place to serve. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean if, we, if we had to rank it, it's not the worst, <laughs> right? I mean, they get to sing and stuff. And, it's better uh, than cleaning toilets. It's, it's barely better than cleaning toilets. <laughs> But the, the thing is, is that it's still something that has to serve. And so here's, here, here's the mantra that we use when we tie it to this service idea. If, if you are grumpy about it, then we don't want you to do it. We, we don't want you to serve out of guilt. That, that, okay, I, I see my mom giggling. Because I guarantee as she's cleaning toilets, she's not happy about it. Right? Karen cleans the toilets. They're probably not happy about it as they're doing it. But there's this idea that it gets done, and then, and then we, but if you're going to be so unhappy about service, then we don't want you to serve. What we want is for somehow you to get happy about service, and then find a place to, pl to plug in, right? And so if we, can, if we can transform the way that we see this into something that is not just a good idea in how churches function... How many of you heard the statistic that 80% or 20% of people do 80% of the work? That's, that's been said about churches for years and years and years. Pretty much any nonprofit, that's what's said. Any, any volunteer run program is the thing is that 20% of people do 80% of the work. Well, why does that have to be true? One, I think that people look at service as something that is grueling and horrible. There's a book that came out called um, Good to Great. And in that book, they, they talk about, they use this analogy of a school bus. And they say the importance of getting people in the right seat, right? Like I look at us right now, we're on the school bus. And if I just went through and I said, okay, here's what we need. We need some nursery workers. So you, you, and you are now nursery workers. Who was that? You. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just going to write it down. And, and you will be on the schedule next month. <laughs> but if we, if we were to do that, then some of you out of loyalty, would show up and go in the nursery. Others of you that I just pointed at, we would never see you again. Right? <laughs> what we want to do is we want to get you in a seat that you feel comfortable in so that as you get on the bus, you're excited to be there and you're excited to serve. We were at a, um, a Pop Warner football game last night and uh, we, were, we were watching the game and there was a, a lady there that goes to, we, we were there, uh, Chris White's son, Josiah, plays on a Pop Warner team here, so we were there to watch them play, and they had a bunch of their church people were there um, watching Josiah also, 
And, and one of the ladies who runs their nursery came up and she said she grabbed a baby from a mom. No, it's okay. They knew each other. But she said, oh, I need to see my babies, right? This is a lady who needs to serve the nursery, right? She, she probably wouldn't do very good at youth group because they don't like to be held. I mean, they, they just... They, it just got really strange. I promise we don't try to hold you at youth group, okay? You can come. It's, it's not that threatening. Um, but, but this is obviously a lady... Whose, who, whose heart is completely with babies. And she wanted, she, she grabbed that baby. She said, oh, I got to go see my babies. She gave that baby back and there was a, her, the, the baby's twin was down the, the and she goes, oh, I got to go see all my babies. And she's just loving on these little kids. And, and I'm thinking to myself, as I'm doing this, I'm thinking, she is right where she needs to be. If she was running sound, <laughs> she'd be miserable. Which, by the way, good job on slides this morning. Oh, good job, Becca. There, but there's this, this, this idea that if we go to church, we have to begrudgingly serve where we're not wanting to serve. And so we don't, and here's the other thing. You think if you sign up, it is now your lifetime position. You can't ever get out of it, right? <laughs> there, there was a lady at Sparks, at the Sparks Church when I was there. I don't know, she was like 170. <laughs> And she'd been greeting for at least 160 years. But she, she was always there, always at the door, always greeting every single Sunday. And then one Sunday she just <coughs> wasn't there. And the next Sunday she wasn't there. And I remember Pastor Ireland at the time, he called us in her office. He goes, has anyone heard from this person? And we're like, no. And so he called her and he said, I just want to make sure everything's okay. Remember, she's 170, so you never know what's going to happen. And he said, I just want to make sure that you're, you're good. She goes, I'm fine. I just, I don't really want to greet anymore, so I switched churches. Oh. Right? So, so this, is your, it, this is your response. But I'm going to tell you from this position, it happens all the time. Because the church has not been good about giving you an out. To be able to graciously go, you know what, I think my time here is over. I, I, I sort of want to punt the kids. And I don't think you want me in there anymore. Right? And instead, instead you just... Uh, Jess, you may need to replace Megan. She she amen, punch your kids. So you hold on, let's be clear. She said she didn't want her kid punch. Oh, that's not what she said. She said amen when I said punch kids. Instead of doing that, though, what if we honestly found a place that fulfills our heart to serve? Now, look, I'm just going to be real honest. There are still jobs that no one is going to wake up in the morning and go, oh, you know what I want to do? I want to clean toilets at the church. But I'm going to tell you, some of you, though, you want to serve, and you don't want to be around people when you do it. You don't want to be up front. You want to be behind the scenes. And you don't really mind cleaning toilets. No, nobody likes it, okay? That's not something that people... Who does? Taylor, you're now cleaning toilets. Yeah. She's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> but there are things that need to be done. So, rather than just focus on one job that you just, you're holding out for. I mean, like, as soon as we get the cotton candy taster position open, 
then I'll volunteer at church. Right? Yeah, lots of hands all over the place. It's like revival up in here. But some of us, first of all, you need to get involved before you even know where you want to serve. Right? You need to try something. Try getting involved. The other thing is this. With the right attitude, service changes. With the way that we embrace service, it does change what you do. So if you actually end up doing things because you know you're serving God and not connected, it changes the way you look at that. It changes the way you enter. It changes the way you do it. And all of a sudden, now we're doing all things as if it's worship. And now all of our service, whether it be work in the nursery, whether it be counting money after church, whether it be on the worship team, no matter what it is, it's all worship. It's all this act of worship that we get to participate in every single time that we do it. And so what we need to do to understand that, though, is we need to change our attitude. We need to, we need to get this attitude of giving and this attitude of, of what servanthood really looks like. So we have this story in Scripture that talks about Jesus walking in to a situation. I talked about that I had a heavy week, right? Well, as I'm about to say this, I understand when I compare my week to this week that Jesus had, it doesn't really hold up, right? And so Jesus has had a week where they're journeying toward the cross. Everything is kind of going crazy, and, and he sits down with his disciples. Before he sits down for this last supper, this Passover meal that we have, in John 13, sorry, yeah, so your your uh, bulletin say Matthew, that's my fault. It's actually supposed to be John. John 13, um, verse 1, we have this, this case where something happens and takes place where Jesus flips everything on his head. And if you've been around for long enough, like through one Easter season, you've probably heard this story. But this is how it goes. It's John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You don't realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, as only Peter would. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus said, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There's a lot there. And, and, and John very rarely writes with one definition. John, John is one of those authors that if you dig a little deeper, you find meanings and multiple meanings and everything like that. So what he does here is, is that very thing. He's talking about this idea of, of you, you came to the party. So even back then, it was still fairly normal for you to bathe before you went to a dinner party. right? Hopefully, that, hopefully we try to keep that tradition going. So... On the surface, Jesus says, you've already bathed. You don't have to be bathed. What you have to have is your feet have to be washed. And I'm sure most of you have heard this before, and most of you know this. They didn't really have asphalt or sidewalks. So everywhere they went was dusty and dirty, and think about the animals that traveled the streets. It would be like if the Nevada Day Parade took place on a dirt road, and your job was to walk behind the parade, and dodge all the apple lines and everything else that's there, right? And so these, these feet were rough. Now, now, the funny thing is, this is not the first Passover meal that the disciples have gathered for. This is probably not the first meal that the disciples have gathered for. We know that they went to certain people's houses. We know that they dined together on a regular basis. So who washed the feet then? Who, who was the one? They didn't really have servants coming with them. There weren't these people that kind of trailed with the disciples. They're like, okay, but you, you, you're just, you come with us because we need a servant. So who, who did all these things before when they walked into a building? Who washed feet? Who sat down and did these things? And what was it that at that particular meal, Jesus got up from the meal? They'd already been in. They're already in the house. They're already sitting around the table. They're already eating. And Jesus gets up from the meal and then begins to wash the disciples' feet. What, what triggers this whole thing that's going on? Well, the crazy thing about Scripture is it is more of a story than we like to look at it because we've put these chapters and verses there for our benefit. But when John wrote, he didn't be like, chapter 12, and write a big calligraphy T. At the <coughs> they, they, they wrote these things as they took place. And as, if we go back, because this, 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 this story of Last Supper is in every single one of the Gospels. There's not a whole lot of stories that are like that. There, there, there are other things in different places, but this idea of this Last Supper story is everywhere. And there's also something else that takes place in the other Gospels. This conversation that takes place. Matthew talks about it as a conversation where a mom comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, um, this, is, this is such a mom thing. My two sons, they're really the best ones you got. So... Can you put them at your right hand and your left hand? Would that be cool? And Jesus says, now wait a second. Are they ready to drink the cup that I'll drink? And they said, we are. And he says, oh, you will. And then guess what happens? The other ten, they get mad about it. Because their mom didn't go on their behalf. The helicopter mom only worked for two kids. And so... This thing, the disciples start to bicker, and they start to kind of squabble amongst themselves. about. Who is, and then there's another conversation that takes place as they're walking on the road. Who's the greatest? Who, who amongst us is better? And Jesus has to squatch this idea. 
All of these things are happening as they're journeying to Jerusalem. So we, we, we tend to read this as this thing that took place. The Last Supper was such far removed from all these other conversations. But when you look at the last week of Jesus, it is just packed into a few chapters in Scripture. And so as you read them, these are things that are happening just a couple days beforehand. So it makes me wonder if as they're getting to the house of the Passover, if these disciples are still jockeying for position. If there's still a little bit in them that's going, yeah, but no, I'm not doing that. Think, think about it this way. When you first start to follow Jesus or you first start to go to a church or you first meet someone, right? You tend to be a little bit uh, freer with your time. Think about it this way. When you first start dating someone, it's like all you want to do is be with that person. Even if they're doing stupid stuff. I'll tell you, for the first like month of Julie and I's dating, I colored maps for her geography class. Yeah, she got an A because I colored good. But like, we, we, we do these dumb things and we start a relationship. Everything is new. Now look, the other day, she said, hey, will you read these scores to me so I can put them in the grade? I said, no. Actually, actually, she asked the wrong question. She said, do you want to? No, I don't want to, but I will. If she had said, will you, I would have done it. But she asked the wrong question, so that's her fault. <laughs> but there's this, there's this thing that happens when we get real comfortable and we get real, and when we start to think maybe we have a little more weight in the relationship than we used to. And why would I do that? That's not, no, I'm not doing that. It doesn't make any sense. Now, if I, if I was dating a teacher, brand new, I, I'm not. Well, I mean, I am. But not a new teacher. And it's a new relationship. And she came up and she's like, I have all this grading to you. You know what I'd say? I can help you. I'd be so eager about it. Like, I would be like, I'll, I'll master, connect them. I'll master that stuff. I will get that done. I will, I, you know what? I'll make a grade book for you. Is it going to be to spend time together? Okay, I'm in. But as that relationship gets comfortable, and as we, as we journey closer together, and we think we know each other, and all of a sudden, like, all, we just stop doing those things. We stop serving. And this is, this is so evident in a, in a spousal relationship. Is that the longer people are married, sometimes we notice that they just stop serving each other. And people will come and be like, I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. Well, you, you stop serving each other. There's an element that just stopped happening. And it's not that you don't love each other anymore. You don't recognize that person anymore. Because in the beginning, all you wanted to do was be together and serve each other. And now that's not happening anymore. <clears throat> this is what's going on with the disciples as they journey toward this cross. And Jesus is saying all these hard things. They, they've been together three and a half years. Some of them have seen things up on a mountain where this people transform and, 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 and Jesus and Moses and Elijah, they're all, and they, they've seen these things. They get this special stuff. And so this jockeying for position begins to happen. And Jesus says, no, listen, listen. No one is greater than anyone in this group. But I don't think they believed it. Because one day they showed up for the last Passover meal and no one washed the feet of the people entering the room. No one was willing to do it that day. Who had done it before? 
Probably one of those 12 disciples we don't know the name of. You know, like we always forget. <laughs> but who, who was the one? Or, or was there many? Or maybe they washed each other's feet. I, I don't know, but something happened this night where nobody did it. And, and it was, and look, as, as someone that just kind of, this is how my mind works, I'm seeing them sit around the table and they begin to eat and I'm thinking that Jesus is going, they still haven't done it. No one's going to do it. They didn't get it. We literally just had this conversation. They don't get it. And so he stands up from the table. And I want you to think about, like, you're at this dinner party with the person that you revere the most in the world, right? And the one that you're following. In fact, the one that you call Messiah. The one that you believe is the Son of God. And you're eating, and he stands up. You're a little freaked out. Because that's not normal behavior. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, maybe he just has to use the restroom. But you're thinking in your head that something's going on. And he walks up. He walks over to the door where they keep the basin. He takes off his outer garment. He wraps a towel around his waist. And can you imagine being that first disciple that he approaches? As he pours that basin into a bowl takes that towel and begins to wash the grime off of his feet. Can you imagine being that first one that's approached? Or, even better, being the second one, knowing that you're next. Peter sums it up. I don't know where he was in the order, but I guarantee, at the very first time Jesus sits down at that first disciple's feet, Peter's going, this ain't happening. I have no, nah. There is no way he's doing that to me. How can they let him? And all of a sudden, Jesus gets to Peter. And he says, you have no idea what I'm going to do here. And then once he says, if you want any of this, if you, if you want any of me, you've got to have this. He says, do it all. And Jesus says this amazing thing. He says, you've already been bathed. And those that have already been bathed, they only need their feet washed. Now, this could be a very literal thing, but that's not how John works. Yes, they've probably already been bathed. But there's this really cool allusion to the way Jesus serves. You've already been clean. They've already confessed Jesus as, as Lord. You're already a Christian. You're already walking with Jesus. But the daily grime that gets on you needs to be washed off before we can continue. You, you've already been fully cleansed. You've already entered this relationship. You've already accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, but there's still the daily grind that gets on you. And Jesus says, I am going to take the lowest position to wipe that off of you. This is before the cross. And Jesus is still giving us this amazing illustration of wiping off the daily stuff that we walk through. It could be dust. It could be stuff inside your soul. It could be things you're carrying. All of that. This is what Jesus knelt down to do. And he did it as the ultimate illustration. He'd already told them. He already said that you need to be a servant. That no one is greater than anyone else. No master is greater. Nothing is. You, you, he's already had this conversation. He's already walked through it in Matthew 20, verse 28. The whole conversation ends with this very poignant thing. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, 
and to give his life for a ransom for many. This is where this begins. It begins tonight at the Last Supper. He begins cleansing it that night, knowing very well that the next day, the next couple of days, there's going to be a cross in his future where he's going to do it in an ultimate spiritual way. But before he does that, he does it in a very practical way. He eliminates the grime of those bodies, of those people. He takes it away. He washes it clean. Now, he begins to become this model of what it looks like to serve. I don't think that when Jesus was sitting at that table, he's like, you know what I hope tonight? I hope no one washes feet because I want to do that. But what he knew was, and it tells us in John that Jesus says, because I've come from God and I'm going to return to God. The washing feet was not just a servant thing. It was a worship thing for him. When Jesus unrobed and put the towel around his waist, he was preparing to worship. He was, he was getting himself ready. He was assuming a posture that was different from his regular postures. He was, getting to ready, he was getting ready to worship in a way that didn't make sense to anyone but to him and the Father. And so he wraps that towel around his waist. And as he kneels, he starts worshiping. As he pours that water on the first dirty, nasty foot, it's like the first song that we sing. And as he continues to go on, it's another song. It's a song of worship and praise to a God that he knows that he is going to return to, that he's adopted this flesh and he's going back to heaven. And, and so he begins to worship in a way. This is what I would say. If we could look at service with an inkling of worship attached to it, it would change the way we serve. <clears throat> If, if, we can, if we could see that we are not just doing this for this place or for those kids or for any, but if we looked at it and we embraced this idea of serving in a way that this is an act of worship, just as it is in the best, like think about like your favorite worship music. This, this is a Mercy Me concert, a Casting Crowns concert, the Sidewalk Prophets. You're, you're there. They start playing. Michael W. Smith's on tour right now where he's playing three hours of just his stuff. Maybe that's your cup of tea and you want to be friends forever. But there's, there's this, this, this thing that the, the best, the, the most encompassing worship that you could possibly engage with, the, 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 whatever you think that is, what if you could view the way that you experience God at that concert? Because I'm telling you, in big venues like that, when you've got like thousands of people around you and Mercy Me is basically leading worship as a concert, and everyone around you is just totally there, and they're in it, and every, everyone, and all of a sudden, when Mercy Me stops singing, and everyone else keeps going, and you're like, this is amazing, and you get the, the, the goosebumps, and the, and, and the feeling, and the, the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up, and you go home, and you're like, that was the most incredible experience ever. Or, or, or like when you're at a U2 concert, and they just stop, and they start singing Amazing Grace. <clears throat> And the entire place starts singing Amazing Grace. You're like, these aren't even church people. <laughs> but you go home and you're like, that was incredible. What if service was worship like that was? And even as you do things you don't want to do, even when you, when you fill needs that need to be filled and you don't want to do them, if you can look at it, as you are worshiping in a different way. Because we, we, we mess up and we say that worship is music. It's not. 
Part of worship is music. Singing is just a small part of worship. When we do connecting time, it should be worship. When you light a candle, you should be worshiping. When, we, when, you, when you give, it should be out of worship, a heart of worship. When you write on the cross, when you put the biggest burden of your life, when you pray, it should be worship, not just singing. When you go to work tomorrow, you should be worship. Everything you do, you should be worshiping, especially when you're serving. We had a, an individual that used to come to the church years and years and years ago. Um, and he was a crack up. I actually saw him at Smith's not too long ago. Uh, but he, he would constantly be walking around going, Hallelujah! Praise Jesus! Hallelujah! That, 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 always. It didn't matter what he was doing. He was a drywall guy, so when we had him doing drywall, he was just constantly in there yelling these things like, Oh, praise God! Praise God! And you say, How you doing? He said, Oh, hallelujah! You know, and this is, this is how he, this is <laughs> all the time. All the time. It's just, this was the way that he did. And I don't know, like, there are a lot of people that were like, oh, he's just, he's just, I don't care if he's messing with me. This is how I want to live, right? This is what it looks like to embrace service as worship. This is what it looks like to go and do painstaking stuff and just be like, oh, but look, people are going to enjoy this for a long time. And when he looked back from his work, he wasn't a very good drywaller, but <laughs> when, he, when he would step back, he knew why he did that. He, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was building something because that's what he did for God. It was amazing. If we could serve with a heart of worship, I think it changes everything. Matt Redmond wrote a song a few years ago. If you're not familiar with Matt Redmond, he's, he's a worship leader, and he's a worship leader only at huge churches. Because <laughs> that's what happens when you're Matt Redmond. But he wrote a song called The Heart of Worship. And when you, when you listen to the lyrics of Heart of Worship, when you, when, you, when you just focus a little bit, the lyrics are very challenging and almost irritating. Because they, they strip down everything except for what matters. If you remember, um, after John left and before Ben came, there was about three weeks where we didn't have music. And um, I remember giving Robin and Wendy lyrics to read. And one of the songs that they read was Heart of Worship. This idea of stripping it all back and figuring out what it means. So Matt Redman's big church, they stopped doing music for like a month. And I'm sure people were very angry. I would hate to be that pastor that month. <laughs> because I guarantee his inbox was full. <coughs> but as, as they did this, they began to focus on what it looked like and why they were worshiping to begin with. So if service is worship, then I would ask you, can you serve with a worshipful heart? With the same way. Can you strip it all back? Can you get back to the heart of this? The one that we look at, the one that we gather, the, 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 the very person that changed worship from Saturday to Sunday with the empty tomb. That God that we serve says, you will do this. If you want to be, you, you will do this. Listen to what he says at the end of that, that, that John verse. 
Now, what you know, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, so can we strip back everything that we have had with servants? I mean, look, we don't like it. We have Disney movies galore about how servants are mistreated. But can we strip all that back and know what it really looks like to serve God in a way that we translate to how we serve people? In the Old Testament, this is how we're going to close. This is when the band come back up. Um, in the Old Testament, there was uh, something they did to free slaves. And what they would do is they would pierce your ear. So if you saw a servant that had an earring in their ear, that meant they were choosing to stay with that family. They were no longer slaves. That, that now they, they, they are working in a place where they are choosing to be on staff, basically, with that family. But they were no longer property. And that's what the earring meant. So as the band comes back up, I would, and as we go into connecting time, as we, as we do these, these next few songs, I, I wanted to almost kind of just stop, and it was this, this heaviness that I was feeling, but I wanted to stop about after like the first or second song and say, I, I want you to sing like your ears are pierced. But then I realized that wouldn't make much sense. But going into connecting time, can we look at what it looks like to live with our ears pierced? Because we have these things. We are slaves to Christ. We, we are slaves to the gospel. We, we, this, this illusion of servants and slaves is all throughout Scripture. But here's the thing. We are free slaves. We are slaves that get to choose our master. And if your master is a servant, and now you know these things, then you will be blessed to do them. So as we finish up the service this morning, it's funny that we call it that. But as we finish this morning, as we, as we enter into connecting time, as we sing these songs, can, can we sing them even as free people that are choosing to serve a God? Can, can you enter into a time of prayer this morning during connecting time that you're wrestling with yourself of where can you give? And look, here's the thing. You can come up to me and you can say, JJ, I want to serve. And you know what I'm going to say to you? Where? Because I don't want to put you on the wrong seat. I'll put you in a seat. But I want you to be in the seat that God directs you to. I want you to serve in a place that God has want you to serve. And whatever that looks like, we'll try to figure that out. But I, I want you to wrestle with the how can you serve as an act of worship? How can you serve to glorify God? How can your service be just like the songs that we sing? Or even better, how can your service be just like the songs that you would sing at a concert with 35,000 other people around? How can that, how can service look like that for you? So as we enter connecting time, the challenge is this. Connect with God today to find out where you need to serve because Jesus says, 